the crucifixion and the bodily resurrection of Jesus are true, not because they are historical facts, which by the way, they are, but because they are according to Scripture. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to your word, as we've already heard your word read and as we have saying consistent with your word, we now come to look at this particular passage of your word. And Father, I would pray that you would give me all that I need to be faithful as I declare the glories of Christ, our risen Lord, that you give us faithfulness as hearers, that you, Holy Spirit, would do a work of grace in our hearts, conforming us, transforming us, transforming our minds, renewing us through your word, we pray. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. You would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read the first four verses, then drop down to verse 12 and read through verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. And you may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. A 2016 Pew Research poll asked participants to list the top 10 historical facts of their lifetimes. It should be not surprising to most of us here who lived through 9-11, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, that that was one of the most consequential events in our lifetime. 76% of those polled listed the 9-11 terrorist attacks as as in the top 10 historical events. It irreversibly changed the nearly 3,000 families that lost loved ones in New York City, Washington, D.C., and in a field in Pennsylvania. For them, it did change 
just about everything. Some of the changes resulting from 9-11 were short-lived, while others remain part of the legacy of that fateful day. But we must understand that the changes that came about as a consequence of 9-11 are in the end temporal, lasting at best as long as human history lasts. And this is true of all historical events that have occurred throughout all of human history with one exception. The crucifixion and bodily resurrection of Jesus are historical events. They occurred in space and time, and these two events truly changed everything in the space of three days. However, we do not receive them as being true because they are well attested in the annals of human history. They are true. They are central to the Christian faith. We receive them as truth because they are according to Scripture. Notice in our text today, Paul being very, very specific when he mentions the crucifixion and the resurrection both being not according to history, not according to some bright idea some guy had, but according to the Scriptures. Scripture teaches four things for us today. The responsibility of all humanity, the ruin of all humanity by the fall into sin, the gracious provision of a Redeemer who conquered sin, who conquered Satan, who conquered death, and accomplished salvation for sinners according to Scripture in the crucifixion and the resurrection, and the necessity, fourthly, to respond in faith for one's temporal and one's eternal good. So first, the Scriptures teach humanity is responsible to God, the Creator. My only hope for passing one exam in chemistry class way back when, during my college days, hands on the professor grading on a curve. And I don't know about you, but there's always one person that would blow the curve. They, they get like a 98. I never liked those people. And I wasn't one of them. Have you experienced the need, the absolute necessity for the standard to be lowered so you can pass? If any standard needed to be lowered, surely it would be God's standard so that human beings could have a right relationship with Him headed into His heaven. Genesis 1 and 2 teaches and we learn that God created all that exists out of nothing. He created man after his own image as a moral being with a soul, a special creation as we read in Scripture. In fact, the crown of his creative work. God has an absolute claim on man. And all men are responsible to seek him 
to live in line with his will and his commands and to reflect his character as his image bearers. Psalm 100 and verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the, his people and the chief of his pasture. Acts 17, 25 through 28, since he himself, that is God, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything that we should seek God, for in him we live and move and have our being, said Paul at the Areopagus as he preached to the Athenian philosophers. The standard to have a right relationship with God and to inherit eternal life for Adam and for Eve back in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, was perfect and personal obedience. And that standard is still in effect even today. Jesus showed in the Sermon on the Mount that true obedience, truly meeting that standard of perfection that God set all the way back in the garden and continuing today for humanity, to have a right relationship with Him and get into heaven. Jesus said that that type of obedience is not only external conformity, but it is obedience out of a heart that loves God. And Jesus said, this is the standard, Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. And here's what we all need to understand. God does not grade on a curve. All of humanity, including you and me here today, are responsible before God. And the standard is perfect obedience. Who can meet this man? Second, what happened? What in the world happened that caused such a problem that changed everything? The bad news of ruin. Man is unable to meet God's standard. Because we learn in Genesis chapter 3 that sin came into the world. We are familiar with the problem of food stains. I wish you could read this. This is my Easter tie. And I just noticed this. And I, I am so encouraged. This tie, it, there's a label. It has to be true. It says stain resistant. It says it right there. Can you read it? You don't know how encouraging that is to me because I think the purpose of a tie is very much akin to the purpose of a bib. Only without the look, and this would be helpful if they can make ties the little thing that catches the food so that you can be a conservationist and recycle. The older I get, the more food I drop on shirts where the stain just is like neon. Well, thankfully, there are washing machines and there are those, this isn't an advertisement, but those Tide pins where you can deal with a stain on the run. I've got one in my car, one in my office, and one at home. i got them everywhere. And so we have washing, we have scrubbing, we have chemicals. But when it comes to sin, not even religious duty 
can remove the stain of sin. We, 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 we sang it just before confession about ruined sinners, stained. No amount of scrubbing, no amount of chemicals. There's not a Tide pen big enough to deal with the stain of sin. What changed that made us sinners? Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1 through 2, God established the covenant of works with Adam. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. That covenant was based on Adam's perfect and personal God commanded Adam and Eve to, to fulfill the cultural mandate, exercise dominion by multiplying, filling the earth with children, cultivating, working, caring, tending. And then he gave one prohibition as part of that covenant obligation that they were not to eat of the tree of the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Upon the perfect and personal obedience of Adam, he along with Eve and their descendants would in time be granted eternal life. The tree of life was there. Breaking the covenant, however, would result in death. I mean, what could go wrong? Adam, in Genesis 3, acting as the representative of the human race, our federal head, he disobeyed God. He broke the covenant stipulation. He was passive and took the fruit from his wife and he ate. And because of Adam's imperfect and personal disobedience, sin came into the world. Man became a sinner. Everything changed for Adam and Eve, and everything has changed for you and me, all of Adam and Eve's descendants, as he was the representative of the human race. We now have a sin nature, broken communion with God, shame, guilt, pain in childbearing, toil in work, banned from the garden, banned from the tree of life that represented eternal life. The serpent was cursed, and creation itself was affected by the fall of man into sin. So let's look at sin. Great topic, right? Original sin in the Bible teaches that all men are born with a sin nature as a result of Adam's sin. Look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man and death through sin, so and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, but I'll just read select portions of that. Paul says that men by nature are dead in trespasses and sins. By nature are objects of wrath like the rest of mankind. And because of this sin nature, because of, of original sin, we actually sin. We, we, we cannot live up to that standard that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. We sin not by doing what God has commanded us to do, and we sin by doing what God has commanded us not to do. Hope you got that. Sins of omission, sins of commission. And therefore, Paul writes in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you ever want to go to a text that has a, the all is all inclusive, then this is it. <laughs> all have sinned without exception, but the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. One of the primary consequences of Adam's fall into sin is that physical death came into the world. Therefore, all men die, Romans 5, 12. But the greater death is not physical death. 
It is spiritual death. It is what John in Revelation 21.8 calls the second death, where we suffer, or one suffers the wrath of God forever. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Not only physical, but spiritual and eternal. What a terrible change from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now, Genesis chapter 3, man is a sinner. His destiny is death, judgment, and hell. He, we stand at the juncture of Genesis 3 and Genesis 2, and we look back at Genesis 1 and, and 2, and we say, oh my, paradise lost, now ruin and sin. The sin problem is infinitely greater than a stain on your shirt. The sin problem demands much more than merely stain resistance. Man cannot meet God's standard of perfection by perfect and personal obedience. Our desperate need is someone who can and who did and who would credit it to us. Right now, this juncture, we, we, we stand with the cry realized in that old hymn, what can wash away my sin? Do you remember what the rest of the hymn says? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We need a Redeemer. We need a Redeemer to unchange what was terribly changed to change everything for our good. One historical event that rises to the level of it changed everything was the discovery of penicillin by Alexander Fleming. The impact is described by Robert Gaines like this, I quote, It's detection, that is penicillin, completely changed the process of drug discovery. Its large-scale production transformed the pharmaceutical industry, and its clinical use changed forever the therapy of infectious diseases, end quote. As life-changing as penicillin and the generations of antibiotics that came because of the discovery of penicillin, it cannot deal with the greater and eternally deadly infection of sin. What can? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Christian faith comes down to two historical events in the span of three days that are true and that change everything, not because they're historical, not because they merely happen in time and space, which they did, but because they are central to the Christian faith, central to salvation according to Scripture. The Apostle Paul taught that the heart of the good news of the gospel, how one is saved from sin, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, he said this, For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The crucifixion. We came together last good, this past Friday, Good Friday, to reflect upon what Jesus did on the cross for our redemption. Jesus, as our Redeemer, made a great transaction that we would be saved or justified before God. He who knew no sin substituted himself in our place on the cross and took our sin upon himself, died the death we deserve to die, paid the penalty due our sin in full, whereby we are pardoned from guilt. And then he placed, he imputed, he credited his perfect righteousness to us that we would be accepted in right standing before God, that, that we would get this, that we would be accepted as those who lived up to the standard of be perfect because my heavenly Father is perfect. That we would be ex- accepted as meeting the standard with no curve because Our sins have been pardoned by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and that he has credited to us, he has imputed to us, he has clothed us with his perfect righteousness through the gift of faith and God Father looks at us on the merits of Christ and says, you are in right standing before me and my law and my standard. That's the gospel offered. That's what Christ did for you and for me. He substituted himself. He took our sin, that double act, that double, that, that transaction has two parts to it. He, he took the guilt of our sin upon himself, and he clothed us with his righteousness. And what the gospel says is that, sinner, this is the offer, receive it by faith. Josh read earlier from Isaiah 53, uh, 53, 5 through 6. And here we see this beautiful tone, reality of, of substitution. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds, Old Testament, Isaiah, New Testament, 1 Peter 2. That's the core of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the, the core of the gospel, the crucifixion and the resurrection Good Friday crucifixion, according to the scriptures, changed everything for ruined sinners because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, according to the scriptures on that first Easter morn. To put it another way, if there was no crucifixion, there would be no need for resurrection. And if there was no resurrection, the problem of sin would remain. And the crucifixion would have been in vain. And Paul says you'd be a fool to have faith in that 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, 17, 20. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is risen. It changes everything for ruined sinners. The effects of the fall of man into sin were reversed. This is what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We come together this Easter morn and every Sunday morning celebrate the empty tomb. He is risen indeed. The bodily resurrection, according to Scripture, validates and vindicates Jesus as the Redeemer who conquered sin and death by his death on the cross. And he does that for us. And his bodily resurrection assures that one day when he comes back, if we are a saint who has died before he comes back, that we will be bodily raised from the dead. And those living in that day will be miraculously transformed to a glorified body. And we will be with the Lord. His resurrection assures our bodily resurrection at the second coming. Paul in Romans 6.23 that we read earlier shows the crucifixion and bodily resurrection of Jesus changed everything. We see in this one small verse, the bad news and the good news, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the hope that we have. Jesus did not come down from heaven at the incarnation to take a human nature, to live a perfect life, to suffer and die on the cross, to be buried, then to be raised by the power of God from the grave in order to save sinners merely as a historical act. He accomplished real redemption for sinners. And we know it's true because it is what? According to Scripture. If you don't remember anything today, <laughs> you'll surely remember the children singing. But as far as this message goes, just remember that our faith is not based on history. It is based on according to Scripture. And I hope you remember what Paul is saying here. The Lord Jesus won true life and true eternal life for ruined sinners whose destiny was radically transformed from death to life. And fourth, how are we to respond? How is the good news of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures? How does that good news reverse the terrible effect of the fall and change everything for us individually, for you and for me, personally? We might ask the question another way, what is necessary for salvation? What's necessary is a response. One must respond by, by receiving the glorious message of the gospel 
the centrality of the crucifixion and the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation by faith as true according to the Scriptures. It's interesting that Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15 as he's addressing the brothers and sisters in Corinth. He says this in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Notice, received, stand, being saved. The response, a necessary response of each individual person to this glorious message of the gospel. The message that, of the gospel that Paul preached, they received, they stood in it, they were being saved, and it centered on the first important matters, the crucifixion and the bodily resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures, for everything to change in a sinner's life for their eternal good. They must take hold of the message and the offer and receive this core message of the gospel that Paul preached, that I have endeavored to preach today, to receive it by faith, receiving it as true, not because it is history, but because it is the truth of Scripture, God's very Word. When the true gospel is preached, centered on the crucifixion and resurrection, there is always a response. Not responding by receiving it as true by faith is responding. It's responding by rejecting it as true. And, and this sad response results in a sinner remaining in their sin and subject to God's judgment and wrath. And dear friend, I hope that is not you today. Responding by assenting to the crucifixion and the resurrection merely as historical facts will not save you from your sins either. Please note and I joked about this in men's Bible study this week, but I think it's true. Sometimes the demons are more orthodox than Christians. Because when Jesus was dealing with the Gadarene demoniac, he cried out, what do, you, what do you want with us, son of man? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? He knew who Jesus was. And so merely assenting to the, the historical fact that the crucifixion happened, the resurrection happened, will, will not save you. And I hope that is not you today either. But responding by receiving the crucifixion and the resurrection as true according to the Scriptures, by truly turning from your sin and believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ out of your heart that has been radically changed by God, and trusting Him to change everything in your life by applying His redeeming work. That's what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he says, you receive from me by faith. In Romans 10.9, Paul said it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and listen to this, believe in your heart. Paul didn't say believe the historical fact. I mean, it's true. Jesus died on the cross. He was raised. Historical fact. But Paul says, believe in your heart. Believe according to Scripture. 
that God raised him from the dead. And Paul says this, you will be saved. Is this your response? If not, I encourage you, dear, dear one, to take hold, take hold of the truth about Christ's crucifixion and resurrection according to the scriptures. It changes everything as clearly as being brought from death to life. Just ask Lazarus in John 11. Ask him by reading about him and what Jesus did. But if this is your profession, and I think for most of you here today, you would be like me, this, this is my profession. I've received by faith that indeed the crucifixion, the bodily resurrection of Christ are true because it is a, they're both according to Scripture. Then what Paul is calling us to do is to take hold of cross by faith that we would hold fast. Notice what he says in, in, in the passage. He, he calls us to, to hold fast to faith. Look at verse 2, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And that's our challenge today. It's to never give, give way, never budge an inch from receiving the crucifixion and the bodily resurrection of Christ as true because it is the truth of Scripture. On that is where we base our faith. Paul encouraged believers in his days to hold fast to the central message of the gospel. And then we read in verse 15, and if Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul is calling us to hold fast to the faith according to the scriptures. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes that I was crucified according to the scriptures and that I bodily was raised from the grave according to the scriptures, though he die, yet shall he live. And I trust that this is your profession today. And if it is not, would you consider this offer of the gospel? and experience indeed the crucifixion and the bodily resurrection of Jesus are true and change everything, not because they're historical facts, but because they are true according to the scriptures. May God either work such that we would take hold of faith or that he would work, that we would hold fast to faith. Either one. May God do that in our lives today. Let us pray. Father, we trust you to work. We trust you to apply your word to us. We trust you to work in the one who does not know you savingly, that you'd be pleased to enable them to take hold 
of the truth of Scripture concerning the crucifixion and the body, bodily resurrection of Christ, that they come to affirm and to attest and to declare that, yes, they're true because your word, O oh God, is true and that you would grant them the gift of faith, that they would experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life truly. And Father, for myself and others like me that do have that profession, that by grace are saved, Lord, may we be reminded that it is not what we do that changes everything. It is what Christ has done and the application of that to our lives, that we would ever hold fast to the gospel. We pray for you to work, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.